Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning. And welcome to Asia Pacific Currents on another Saturday morning. It is Saturday, the sixteenth of April, here on Community Radio Three CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. Of course, Australia Asia,、uh, excuse me, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look us up, A A W L. Um, it is Easter Saturday for those of you who are、uh, celebrating, and for the rest of you who are just taking advantage of the public holiday. So we've got not quite a relaxed show, but we won't be doing. We'll do a slightly different format today. I've got an extended interview、uh, about the situation in Yemen, so that is what we're going to go straight into.、Um, Camila El Eriani starts off by introducing herself. My name is Kimi Liliani. I'm lecturer and tutor at Melbourne University School of Social and Political Sciences, but also I am a postdoc research fellow at the same、uh, department. Well, welcome back to the show.、Uh, since we last spoke to you in 2019, the crisis in Yemen has only increased. If you can, just to begin with, could you please remind the listeners what the war is about? Sure.、Uh, first, thanks,、uh, Giselle, for having me on again.、Um, and uh, in terms of uh, understanding the, the current uh, war, uh, it began in March 2015,、um, and it was waged by the Saudi、uh, Saudi-led coalition, backed by the U.S. and the U.K. and other Western countries. The coalition was、um, also joined by other Arab states, and notably the United Arab、uh, Emirates, that has played a key role in this war. Um, the Saudi coalition claims that the war,、um, the war's aim, has been to ward off the Iranian Shiite expansionist agenda in the otherwise Sunni Arabian Peninsula, and Saudi Arabia claims that Iran is seeking to advance its agenda through its support for the Zaidi,、um, the Zaidi group Ansarullah or the Houthis,、um, and, and in military operations offer Hadi than the、uh, than the president escaped. So, 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 so this is this is basically what was the claim to kind of you know prevent any expansion expansionist agenda for for Iranian in in the Arabian Peninsula. So what happened is that after the Houthis captured、uh, the capital city Sana'a in, in September 2014, after and and then there was some sort of negotiations with Hadi political negotiations that eventually kind of collapsed. The Houthis. Put Hadi under house arrest, and then、um, after that、um, he fled to Riyadh. And、uh, from there, probably a few weeks later, the coalition announced the decisive storm operation, military operation, to retain,、uh, reinstall the、uh, Hadi government. And I think it's it's very important to mention here that、um, Saudi intervention in Yemeni political affairs is it hasn't started in 2015.、Uh, Saudi Arabia has been muddling in, in Yemeni politics since the 1960s, and the reason is that because Yemen、uh, is the only republican、um, state in the Arabian Peninsula among its six、uh, monarchies. Um, so anything always kind of the Saudi Arabia、um, has seen whatever happens in Yemen. 
is has the potential to spill over to to Saudi Arabia and here we're talking about any political changes or political conflicts or demands even for political change well it is um being called one of the greatest humanitarian crises of the current period um there have been many attempts to um, try to have a, a ceasefire or a truce. On April the 1st, a UN envoy announced a two-month truce in Yemen. Can you explain to the listeners what this truce was about and is it a pathway to a peace agreement or is it merely a temporary ceasefire or even not even a ceasefire? Um, yes, you're right. There was on, on April 1st, uh, Hans Grand, Grandberg, the UN um, uh, envoy to Yemen, announced the truce for two months. And uh, what came out of it is that the warring parties agreed to halt the military operations for the next couple of months. And the coalition promised easing the embargo on fuel entering the Houthi Hilt Red Sea port of Hodeida and um, also promised to reopen Sana'a Airport and, and allow uh, commercial flights to and in from the capital Sana'a from the first time since 2016. So the parties also committed to resume negotiations over uh, road access to Taiz and the city uh, central in central Yemen has been under Houthis, um, uh, the Houthis have, have, have uh, besieged the, the city uh, since 2016 and, and, and Taiz is a very strategic kind of uh, uh, city in Yemen that connects simply the north uh, to the south of Yemen. What happened so far is that from all these kind of points that they agreed upon is that the airport hasn't hasn't been opened yet. Um, and it seems like one or two fuel ships have, have been allowed to enter the port of Hodeida. Uh, but there are also some um, news that there was some escalation in Marib as well. So uh, the facts or the kind of the truth, whether it's going to lead to any kind of sustainable or sustained kind of political and, uh, solution that will lead to uh, a peaceful future for Yemen, that remains um, under a big question mark, especially with this um, new development following Hadi transferring his power to a new presidential council. And I think we're going to, in any case, we're going to talk about this uh, in more detail later. Well, in the past year, there's been talk of an imminent peace agreement in Yemen with a revival in diplomatic talks between Iran and Saudi Arabia for the first time since relations broke off in 2016, being interpreted as one sign that an agreement is likely. Yet in recent months, we've seen not only an increase in the violence, and you talked a little bit about this, but an escalation in the regional conflict. Um, We saw Houthi missiles landing in the United Arab Emirates for the first time. Can you talk a bit about what is driving the rumours of the agreement, as well as the apparent escalation of violence on the ground? Um, to be honest, I haven't been following these uh, talks between Saudi Arabia and Iran very closely. But to my knowledge, the two parties met in, ba- in Baghdad's conference last year to initiate a series of uh, meetings and talks to discuss regional security and to find solutions to some of the outstanding regional security issues. And of course, Yemen is one of those issues. From past meetings between the two states, Iran and Saudi Arabia, um, it has been clear that diplomacy has not been very successful in mending their relationship or reaching any sustainable agreement, especially because Saudi Arabia has been always suspicious about Iran's uh, intentions and commitment to deals. 
um, and of course, intentions in the in the Arabian Peninsula first, and in the Arab world in general, and and supporting the Houthis in Yemen. You know, it's like kind of uh, a nightmare comes comes becomes a reality, and it kind of basically confirms Saudi's anxiety um, and and suspicion about Iran. Although, I mean, many observers argue that Iran initially was not involved with with the Houthis, and it was the Saudi war itself that actually brought Iran into this proxy war that is, you know, where Yemen is its, uh, uh, its ground. And it was Saudi war, uh, as I said. And, and in any case, the recent talks seem very fragile and nothing more than a careful diplomatic uh, gesture from both parties. As we, you know, probably we, we, we were kind of following the Trump's term he, he, and, and he kind of demonstrated the United States uh, desire to hand over regional security uh, to Saudi Arabia and other regional powers, uh, notably Iran, but will not do that until both Iran and Saudi Arabia have shown capacity to engage in some sort of productive diplomacy. But it seems that, and, and this is based on some of the kind of analysts' kind of observation, is that it seems like um, that Iran has got more li- uh, leverage over Saudi Arabia because it showed Saudi Arabia that it can actually reach its oil field and, and attack its, its oil facilities, right? And they also see that more uh, Iran is really, what Iran is really interested in accepting to engage in these, in these kind of talks um, uh, on regional issues is mostly kind of to reestablish uh, the diplomatic relationship. So the, the West can see that um, Middle Eastern countries, Saudi Arabia and Iran particularly, can really engage diplomatically so they can withdraw and then, um, and then you know, kind of uh, uh, the, the region will become more independent, which I don't believe that that would be the case um, because the kind of Western involvement is so deep and to kind of dislodge that it will take um, years and years of changes in policies. So, so, so the thing is that Iran is interested in establishing that diplomatic relationship before offering any commitment um, in terms of, you know, kind of de-escalation. But Saudi Arabia is not interested in establishing any diplomatic relationship with Iran, but interested in getting Iran to commit. Um, So there is this kind of, you know, kind of mouse and cat kind of playing together. You know, no one is actually kind of agreeing, kind of trying to uh, uh, confirm or make any concession. And even if they kind of reach an agreement. So this is is the thing, things that they, they, they so far seems like they haven't reached any agreement. And we heard that recently Iran has suspended the meetings and the, the talks, right? So, so in any case, if, if even if they do reach any agreement, there is no guarantee that the Houthis will, will agree to de-escalate simply because the peace negotiations and, though, and the, their terms do not um, go in line with what Houthis think, think is, is, is right they will continue to take on the military option. So, so as I said, um, the escalation is, I think it, it, is, it shows that whatever negotiations happen is just a facade and it's just not going anywhere. Um, it's, it's, um, it's the kind of a struggle and um, the struggle continues. I, I want to talk a little bit about Hadi, the, the Yemeni president. And right at the beginning, you talked about um, he ha, ha, has spent some time in house arrest and then most of his presidency has been in um, Riyadh. Uh, let he, so the, the context of this is that in the last month, he transferred power to a new presidential 
Council. Before we look at that, let's try to understand a few things about President Hadi. How did he come to power in the first place? Yes, um, Hadi was the vice, uh, and to the, here we have to go back. I mean, of course, the history of Hadi is he was associated with the South, with the South, the Southern regime before unification. But he, um, um, uh, through his kind of political political trajectory, he kind of secured a position of um, vice vice president um, uh, for Saleh, uh, who ruled the country for thirty three years. Um, and was ousted in 2011. And, and during the 2011 revolution, there was um, this GCC or Gulf Corporation Council initiative that um, aimed, you know, seemingly to kind of end the crisis, but mostly the, the, the main purpose of this initiative was to uh, contain the revolution and make sure that a friendly regime will come to power so it doesn't it doesn't affect or nothing spills over to Saudi Arabia and other gulf countries so so what happened the 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 gulf um uh, the gcc initiative um uh, uh kind of stipulated hadi as the president um and um and the thing is that the the reason hadi was selected is because he is very he doesn't have a strong leadership he is a very weak um uh, political figure um and and eventually it was he was the the perfect candidate because um so the gulf council initiative did not mean actually kind of install a, a strong president who would make sure that you know the the kind of revolutionary demands will be implemented and and you know kind of heard and implemented so Hadi was um, was actually the perfect candidate because he basically doesn't have strong uh, leadership. So during his term, I mean, of course, that that also kind of his weakness also was was very clear during his two years that was you know kind of stipulated in the GCC initiative. Um, he didn't uh, he didn't kind of achieve any reform, and then the uh, the the initiative also renewed his his term to for two more years, and also during these two years he didn't do much really and ended up in this disaster with the Houthis which I think we're going to talk about as well in more detail. Come to me lover I've secrets to tell. Hi we're Dash and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me sweetly this love it is 15 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents and I'm Giselle Hanna. We are speaking with Camilla El Adiani, who is a Yemeni uh, a- activist and academic and scholar. Uh, and we're going to continue with the second part of that interview about the update on the situation in Yemen at the moment. I did want to say, you know, given he was a, a puppet of the Saudi Arabian government, um, it is argued that he turned a blind eye to the rising power of the of the Houthis, and you know, as you talked about, they captured the the capital Sanaa in two thousand and fourteen. Do you agree with the assessment that he turned a blind eye to their rising um, power because that that wouldn't be in Saudi's interest at all? 
Yeah, well, it seems like what happened is that, I mean, that Hadi was lenient uh, towards al-Houthi's expansion. And the reason was being that the parties that brought him to power, which is the GCC uh, countries and um, um, uh, countries, they had issues with the Islamic parties, um, Islamic parties, in, the Islamic party, the main Islamic party in Yemen uh, is called Islah, is one of the most experienced and organized Islamic political parties in the Arab world. And um, Islah was part of the uh, transitional government that was stipulated by the GCC. And Hadi was very aware that the GCC was particularly, was, and, and here particularly the United Arab Emirates, did not trust Islah uh, because of, you know, the longstanding phobia of Islamists in, in, in the Gulf countries. And, 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 and also, as I said, like uh, particularly uh, for Emirates. And uh, as a result, he turned a blind eye on the Houthis' expansion in the north um, that led to a confrontation between them and the Islah's elements. And unfortunately, Hadi failed to support Islah for a, a bit to push um, the Houthis back to Sada. When the Houthis captured Sana'a, because, I mean, because Hadi did not kind of act immediately, I mean, the, the, um, the result was that uh, the Houthis captured Sana'a. And of course, Houthis were not acting on their own. They had Salah. He was, he was coming with vengeance, you know, because he, he for him... Um, kind of ruling the country was it was not it was it became kind of a, a, a right uh, rather than you know kind of subjected to democratic elections. So and and um, and of course Ali Abdullah Saleh knew um, the military and Yemeni politics through and through, simply because he's he's the one he was the the key uh, actor who orchestrated all the structure right. So, so his knowledge and also the kind of the uh, the troops or military kind of elements that was still kind of loyal to him uh, led to this uh, very quick capture of 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 uh, Sana in September of 2014, and then Hadi um, again he agreed to negotiate with the Houthis um, for the purpose of you know hoping that he will contain the conflict, uh, but on the condition that they would withdraw their militia from and troops from Sana. But after securing more and more concessions from Hadi government, uh, the Houthis refused to withdraw and they started to put more demands on Hadi. And they finally asked him to put, uh, they started to put more pressure on Hadi to replace the vice president with someone who's affiliated with the Houthis. Uh, Hadi refused and resigned. Houthis put him under house arrest. And then um, he was lucky to, um, to, you know, he was able to flee um, to Saudi Arabia. And weeks um, after that, the, uh, the operations, the coalition operations started. Well, let's now turn to his transfer, uh, the, the transfer of power to the new presidential council. So what is the presidential council for starters? And how would you explain had his resignation and its meaning for these um, geopolitical dynamics? Well, look, there are so many, there are some people who are kind of optimistic about it, uh, about this resignation and the kind of the, um, the establishment of this new uh, presidential council. But what it, what, it, what it seems really that what it seems like from all what is happening, these development is that the United, the Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates are becoming more and more aware that their direct involvement uh, through military intervention has not been successful in, in ending hostilities and establishing peace. And especially um, because, you know, their, their oil facilities has been attacked. Right. So what they are doing now is advocating for a political solution. 
and and that's why and then this um uh the the transfer of of of, uh, of uh, presidency uh, responsibilities to the presidential council it is meant to be what the first step forward um towards kind of moving forward um to the next step which is establishing peace or peace negotiation but what they are doing now, uh, as you said, the, but the meeting, the, and then they organize this Riyadh meetings, um, which, you know, through it. And here I'm talking about Saudi Arabian Emirates, um, the main players here. Um, they tried to seal, consent, they sealed consent over the transfer of Hadi's power to a new presidential council. And of course, here this, they wanted to give that impression that they are interested in, in, uh, in a peaceful solution. There is, a, there is a big problem with this uh, development um, in that a political solution has to be a mini solution, not a solution that is uh, orchestrated or concocted in the um, Gulf Castles corridors. So when the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia invited, I don't know, probably over 800 participants from political, you know, the participants had political affiliation or kind of activists, um, and uh, media figures, they were they were invited not to discuss um, discuss you know the these these changes. It was literally just to inform inform them this is the changes and this is the how, the, how things are going to be. So so here we see that um, that this Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates dominating the entire political process, although from Yemeni perspectives. Many kind of uh, members who who are with the uh, with the coalition Yemen Yemeni Yemeni uh, parties as well as for these parties they um, they they kind of emphasize that a political solution has to be Yemeni solution and Yemenis themselves have to decide who's going to come to power. But what is happening? What what Saudi Arabia and uh, Emirates are doing is the opposite. The observers of the new um, presidential uh, council. Uh, believe is that um, that of course, and I, I agree with them that what the council really represents is not a, a peaceful sol- or a solution for a peaceful future of Yemen, but rather represents the interests uh, of the um, uh, United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. It means that um, that definitely it's not a, it doesn't include any ingredients towards a, a lasting peace. So the, therefore, forming this new council did not mean that the coalition would let Yemenis decide their future. Rather, it wanted to chart the future peace in Yemen in line with its own own interest and through the, the through this particular through this council. And as as well known, the coalition began its operation to remove the Houthis and. Re- reinstall the Hadi government, but as soon as the military operation started, um, the United Arab Emirates re- revealed uh, its different agenda, leading to a clash at some point between the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia military and United Arab uh, Emirates military in Yemen. And because the uh, the the Saudi Arabian and, and Emirates interested Yemen are at odds, and the new council was orchestrated to represent these divergent interests. And views, of course, with different and on those kind of who have been elected, they've got uh, different military capacities. Um, uh, it is unlikely that this council will achieve any anything that will bring any good, you know, to Yemen and Yemenis. Surely, what they um, have all in common, but but the, I mean, as I said, they have different interests. Those those members of the council, they have different agenda, different interests. 
But what what the only thing that they have in common is that um, uh, they uh, they 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 share um, uh, kind of uh, uh, their anti Houthi sentiments. And as we know, the Houthis kind of refused to join um, this this fiasco, and um, and I think they're right. Although kind of Yemenis themselves. Um, uh, I mean, Houthis, they're not a power to reckon with for Yemenis because they've, the more pressure the international community put on them, the more pressure they put on Yemenis who are under their con- control. So what I, what I, what I think this, um, uh, the ingredients put uh, in this council is actually an ingredient, an ingredient for a disastrous future in Yemen, unfortunately. But, you know, I mean, we always hope for the best. We never know, you know. Um, we always hope that things will not turn as as it seems. No, but conflict doesn't resolve itself magically. So so what do you think the, um, the, the result will be? Do you think that this presidential council will last? I mean, you're, you're already saying that you think it will increase the hostilities rather than uh, you know, try to negotiate uh, the, a permanent ceasefire, which is what had you said is supposedly the main task of the presidential council. Like, do you, do you think it will collapse in a heap or or make things worse? The the thing is that I don't know. We, I, we we're not sure what what will how whether it's gonna you know kind of maintain some sort of formal shape with some kind of uh, processes that will lead to anything like you know peace negotiation or you know kind of other or, or otherwise war. But what I know is that the council um, and Al Alibi, who is heading the council, um, have emphasized that the uh, the main purpose is peace negotiation. Um, and um, they all already kind of assume that, you know, that they might fail. So they said if, if it failed, if, if these kind of peace negotiation fail or uh, Houthis refuse to engage, they have the military capacity to continue on with the military option, which I think is, is more likely to, to, to happen. Um, but the, what, will, what will happen, and even if the council succeeds in, in continuing to in, in operating on the ground, because now they're still in Riyadh, right? And we're not sure when they are planning to the council when when members are are, are planning to go back to Yemen and you know kind of uh, take take on re- kind of government responsibility from Yemen, and even there is a possibility that you know that they might be might not be able to go back to Yemen because the Houthis might attack them, you know because that happened in the past. So 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 the, this is there is still a big question mark on whether they will be able to actually operate from Yemen. Other scenario would be is that because um, uh, the different the different kind of members of the council represent different regions, which also kind of speaks to c- certain kind of proposal that was um, that the uh, the Gulf and international community pushed for uh, during the uh, national dialogue, and it was part of the Gulf Cooperation Initiative, which is dividing Yemen into federations, so different federations. So, so it seems like those members of the council each is actually representing region that was supposed to, you know, kind of uh, to 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 become a certain certain federation or region ruled by federal government. So, what happens again? They might not be able to operate on the ground, but um, there is a possibility that whatever agenda they have, and of course, we're speaking now about the Gulf, the Emirates and Saudis agenda, which is transferring kind of hostilities to manage hostilities or kind of um, uh, 
making facilities run by Yemenis themselves, and at the same time, kind of reshaping the society, you know, and the, the kind of the politics and the, the, the demography in line with uh, this agenda of federations that are kind of initially stated in the, in the Gulf um, initiative. So that if that happens, that of course gonna lead to kind of a, a terrible civil war and might end up with in, in creating fragmented Yemeni, um, Yemeni kind of little kind of semi-states or federations uh, governed by uh, by the councils or the member of the council. So I, I really don't know, but it's uh, it's it's very hard to tell. But what I it, but also it, it's very hard to tell how things are gonna kind of uh, turn out. But at the same time, it's very hard to see any any positive outcome out of it, especially because the Houthis um, they are refusing to engage with that, and as I said, and rightly so, because it just. It is, it is, it's not representing Yemenis, it's not made, it's not created or initiated by Yemenis themselves through a long dialogue, um, you know, with inputs from, from, from the grassroots, from Yemeni parties, different parties. And that was Camilla El Ediani uh, giving us an update on the situation in Yemen. That actually brings us to the end of Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered.